Bowman, Bowman and Josie. Oh, look at this. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Oh, oh, he tried to get too fancy. He tried to get too fancy. He can't believe it. Look at him. He's, he can't believe he missed it. He bricked it. He's human. He's human. This is Five Point Play, the Die Hard Duke Basketball Fans podcast. We are halfway through the ACC season. Duke is 8-1 and one in the ACC, 20-2 and two overall, the number two team in the nation. But you know what? Zion is apparently human, AC. You can't, you can't make all the dunks. <laughs> he can't make all of them, I guess. I thought he uh, might have had 100%, but he can't do it all, I guess. I, I was, when, that, when he was going up for that dunk, Last night, I nearly tore my other Achilles <laughs> getting ready to jump out of my chair. Um, I, I, the it, it, it almost might have been too much anticipation for him. I think so, because he, he like, I mean, he rounded it like he was coming around second going in the third. <laughs> like, he really, he really came on an angle on that one. I was like, man, he's, what is he about to do? Yeah, and then I felt bad for him at the end where, you know, the ball slips out of his hands. Uh, he wanted retribution at mm-hmm. the end for the for that missed dunk um, mm-hmm. to get the next one back and then <laughs> Kate picks him out. Yeah. Uh, wish he was going to take him out anyway. But we'll we'll That's get to said, the yeah. Yeah, but we'll get to the BC game uh, that we're referencing and talk about what we saw there. It was an ugly first half. But let's let's start on a positive note, and that was mm-hmm. the St. John's game, and that's where we'll kick things off. Luckily, I was in the building and I totally yeah. redeemed myself ah. uh, after after being at the Syracuse game. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Cameron was absolutely rocking on That's Saturday, awesome. and uh, in large part for the you know ten points in the last couple minutes of the first half by Zion, including yeah. a couple massive dunks right in front of me. It, it was electrifying in there, and which is pretty awesome for a noon game on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and not not only the noon the noon Saturday game because that's the one you know historically you know even this season K has talked about how how difficult it is to get up for those games. We've talked about you know just observing how difficult it is to get up for those games for the students and the players. But then to have a non conference opponent come in and it's it's St. John's, which you know it's a good team. They've obviously had some struggles, but you know there's a history there, and and it's like you know the fans really really it seems like they bought into that that kind of history and and you know dare I say rivalry, not really a rivalry, but you know, just that historical matchup that Duke and St. John's have really kept up over the years. And I love it, man. I love I love that matchup. Uh, I love the fact that Mullen is back, um, back in St. John's. Kay alluded to that in his postgame presser, uh, just about the job that he's done there and, and, and coming back and taking on that mantle because that's it's not easy, man. And I think it helps a little bit that my Knicks are, are absolutely trash. So <laughs> I think St. John's is the second best team in, in New York right now behind the Nets. But um, but no, it, it's good to see that rivalry continue. Um, you know, I love the relationship Kay had with Jarvis. Love the fact that Kay, you know, really recruited Mullen hard to to come to Duke. Obviously, didn't get him, but you know, I, I think that'll be fun for for the next few years. You know, while Kay's around, at least anyway, and we'll see if it goes on after that. Yeah, no question. And you know, I think where I wanted to start things off uh, for this game specifically is last year Pons really lit mm-hmm. us up, mm-hmm. and uh, this was a great test to see how the not-to-be-national-defensive-player-of-the-year Trey Jones was going to match mm-hmm. up against uh, a guy that, that can really put up points in a hurry. I thought Trey's on-the-ball defense set the tone from the beginning. He held Pons without 
uh, a point in the first half. He was all over him. He caused uh, quite a few uh, turnovers, and you know, a couple of them run out to to easy buckets and, mm-hmm. and really turned uh, the momentum. Because for the first 15 minutes or so of the, of the first half, St. John's was right there. They started out pretty hot, knocking yeah. down uh, a few threes in a row, and you know, really keeping pace. And, and actually, I thought it was Trey's defense that you know, along with you know, obviously the highlight reel plays and the 10 straight points with Zion. What did it look like from your vantage point? It was it was kind of the classic, you're playing a team that has a prime, you know, a, a serious primary score, one serious primary score. The rest of the guys are complimentary, good, talented players, but still complimentary. And it was, it was the classic, we're going to shut your best guy down because we know we have the horses. And we pretty much know that your, your, your second and third and fourth scorers aren't going to be able to keep up with what we have. So for St. John's, Figueroa, that kid is really talented. He, uh, it, it was a nice, a nice start for him. Um, it was, it was an amazing start for Marvin Clark. He, he had an incredible start in terms of activity, in terms of, of his just you know attacking the basket, hitting a lot of threes. I think that um, you know that, that flagrant that was called on him was was unfortunate because it, it wasn't. A, I don't know that it was a flagrant. You were you were there, so yeah, how did it, it, it look looked, live? It looked, it looked a lot worse than it actually was. Yeah. Um, obviously, coming back and seeing the highlight, that should never have been a flagrant. So that that was a that was a tough call. But yeah, I, I will I, I will say though on that note that the game itself was was quite chippy. It was mm-hmm. quite chippy from the beginning. Uh, I don't know what they were thinking here, but at one point uh, early in the first half, there you know Duke is having an inbound underneath their own basket, and they are you know giving Zion the business. They're chirping at him, right? You know, doing the hand stuff, and I. Remember watching Zion, you know, I'm not too far away from this. I mm-hmm. remember watching Zion just chirp back at this guy, saying something to the effect of, just wait, just wait. And, you know, sure enough, uh, you know, at the end of the first half, he's dropping 10 straight in two massive dunks and the roof's, <laughs> the roof's blowing off the camera. And so, but, you know, he, I'm looking, the, the, the game was chippy, though. Yeah. I, I love I, I love Zion's demeanor on the court. There are guys who... You can rattle him with trash talk a little bit, or you can get him into like a trash talking battle. But he's one of those guys that he's just business. Like he, the the things he says are very pointed and just direct. And then he just goes about and does what he's gonna do to you. And like you know, he's not he's not a chess pounder. He's he's not one of those guys. I think the St. John's guys are doing that a little bit. You know, trying to trying to muster up some kind of courage or something. But I mean, the minute he he the minute he went off, it was all over. And then couple that with what Trey did to to Shamari Pines was. I mean, it's nothing short of amazing, his defensive stress this past week. And hopefully at the very least, maybe it gets him on the uh, the second team for ACC defensive, the all-defensive all team, maybe the second team. that Maybe he earns that. I don't yeah, know. Maybe, maybe, maybe honorable mention. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, first, honorable mention, but, yeah. But, uh, but speaking of uh, first honorable mention, uh, Orange had a very workman, workman's life game in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 15 points, 14 boards, I believe. And he really just kind of did everything. He, you know, he didn't have a great shooting night, but he let the game come to him and let the star uh, of the show, Zion, do his thing. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what it was. But I thought that everything that needed to be done uh, defensively on the boards was done by RJ. He was fantastic. And then on the defensive side of it, I wanted to talk about the block that Zion had 
at the start of the second half. <laughs> um, that that block was unbelievable for multiple reasons. Uh, one, it was because they had just been chirping him a couple plays before that, mm-hmm. and then he comes out and nearly deflates the ball. He slammed it so hard. <laughs> but there were actually two elderly gentlemen in the first row along the baseline that if that ball had hit either <laughs> one of them, we would be doing a, uh, a funeral service rather than yeah. a high talk today. Um, so thank God that he hit it so far <laughs> that uh, it hit the floor and nearly and nearly I, I nearly caught it. I was three rows up. I, I, I nearly caught the actual ball. It, it, it just goes to show you, like you, you might be right from what you said a couple of weeks ago, that you know Zion might be on that National Defensive Player of the Year watch list. Not, not he is a great defender, and he showed mm-hmm. that again. Absolutely, he's, he's, absolutely. He's but those highlight plays on what you're going to see. Yeah, yeah, and that's it's. Yeah, you know, it, it's sort of the same thing that you see a lot. I mean, like Wo, Wojo, Wojo won the award not not only because he was a tenacious defender, but you know the the charge taking and some of the other things he did that you hadn't really seen much of. He was doing it. You know, Battier, his was earned, totally earned. Not saying not saying anyone who's ever won it didn't earn it. It's just one of those things where he's he's being put on a list because of the highlights help out help his his cause. And what doesn't help Trey's cause and all of this is the fact that he's generally the one creating these issues for the other guys to take advantage of. I mean, Cam is a is a, a fantastic defender in his own right. He benefits a lot from having Trey. It's like, it's like you, you take Trey away from, and we did take Trey away from the whole equation for a little bit, and you kind of saw what happened to the team. We had to switch the zone. We have all these great defenders, still had to switch the zone a little bit. Still saw a little bit of a dip in turnovers and transition points. Now he's back, and look, you know, we're back to square one where we're again. It's undeniable the effect that Trey has on defense, and everyone knows it. Everyone sees it. It's just one of those things where I guess you just can't give too much Duke love in a season, and Zion's on the list already because that's what sells tickets. So I guess Trey gets left off the watch list. Doesn't mean he can't win it, but whatever. You know what I mean? It's one of those things. He had a, he had a fantastic week. I cannot stress enough how amazing he was this week. Yeah, no question. And, you know, Trey is the conductor. Everybody mm-hmm. knows that. Um you know, something that I thought about a couple of days ago when I was dri- actually when I was driving down to Duke, I was just thinking about Trey and maybe the difference between him and a guy like you mentioned, Wojo, or maybe even a couple of the past Duke point guards, even Jay Will for uh, a few instances you're not going to vividly remember. Mm-hmm. Trey, Trey's not out there slapping the floor. That's mm-hmm. just not his personality. His personality is I'm going to dog you the entire game. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to make any faces at you. I'm just going to dog you the entire game, and you will remember me in your sleep for the for the rest it's, of the, rest of the season. It's very professional how he does it. It's like it's 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 almost a slap in the face that he doesn't celebrate. <laughs> like it's just like he knows it. You're you're the guy on offense, and you see a guy across from you, and you know just having dealt with this before, you see a guy across from you who just. There's no reaction. There's no because you can you can you can get a reaction out of guys sometimes, and that helps you because you're like, okay, I can take advantage of something. But with him, it's just it's business as usual, man. Like like you said, there's no there's no floor slapping. It, there's no you know occasionally he might get the crowd up, but man, he's just so professional with how he does it. And uh, I, I, can't, I can't talk enough about what he does on defense, man. His w- watch him next time he plays and watch how he gets around screens. I've never seen. He's he's like he's like water, man. I've never seen anybody sneak between screens so well. And and these it's not like these guys aren't setting good screens. Like they are setting the proper screen. The guard is going off the shoulder, and he is anticipating the screen so well that he's just get it. He sneaks through with the guy. Like screens are pointless against him. 
Yeah, and he actually almost sees a coming uh, a second or two ahead, and mm-hmm. he did that uh, quite well in the, uh, the BC game. So let's go ahead and switch over uh, to our, our second pillar, which is the BC game. Again, it was, uh, you know, Trey did a phenomenal job on Bowman, and Bowman had what I thought was a pretty um, inefficient night. But mm-hmm. let's start, obviously, with the negative, which is the first half. Ugh. You know, were we looking ahead? Could that be an excuse? Or was it just, hey, you know, we, we were flat. We had no energy. And I, I, I did enjoy Coach K's postgame. <laughs> Somebody yeah. asked him if uh, Cam Reynolds' play at the end, which was a oh, big yeah. play, yeah. Um, if, if that gave the uh, the spark and the lift that, that uh, Duke needed for the second half. <laughs> and <laughs> Coach K at Connell was like, no, nah, I'm pretty sure there was another reason they got the point um, at, right. at the half. Uh, I would not have wanted to be in that locker room. Uh, I'm sure that it was not PG. But, uh, you know, what, what do you think was the reason for the, uh, the lackluster performance in, in the first half? No, I, th- I think it's a variety of reasons. And, and you, you see some of these things like this. You see a game where you know you're going to win the game from the start. You, there's a poss- Obviously, there's a possibility of losing if you let the team do what they're supposed to do. But, you know, the one thing this team can take care of is its defense. And that's... That's what's so beautiful about this team, and you know that's why the shooting to me doesn't matter, and some of the other things that that come up don't matter because the defense is going to take care of itself, especially against games like this. We're going to use what we need to use against teams like UNC, UVA, those guys. But against BC, you can try some things out that you've worked on in practice for the week, or maybe you've worked on some things for the past couple weeks in practice, haven't felt confident in putting it into a game yet, and and I think that's what we're seeing here a little bit. I think he, I think Kate understands that we do need to shoot and we do need to find different ways to get jump shots off outside of the five out standstill three because it, it, i don't know if you've noticed that we don't we're not shooting as many of the let's spread out five drive through the lane kick out opposite side and then pop the standstill three like it's it's coming more off of kind of drive and kick drive and penetrate and kick back it's coming out of some post kickouts things like that kind of the, some of the, some of the more traditional ways that duke used to get threes and and I think that's what we're seeing. I think it's an adjustment. I, I think it's and I think it's a good time to use it now because we're in February. We have eight eight ish nine what eight games left in the regular season. Um, it, it's nine, and so yeah, we're nine. nine games. Yeah. So so we're we're in that stage now where the team that we will see in March we're probably going to see in the next two weeks. So I'm still you know I'm not worried about Jack shooting. I'm not worried about some of the other things that are coming up. It's where he's trying some things out and and that's what I'm seeing. They didn't run kind of their traditional kind of high post horn set that they run a lot. They didn't run that at all in the first half. They started running it a little more in the second. You saw it happen to the score. Like there's some traditional sets that K runs, some quick hitters and 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 motion sets he runs a lot that teams just can't they have no answer for because they can't defend Zion and RJ and Cam, especially when they're all doing the, what they're supposed to do. And so you saw that happen in the second second half and and Good offense generates activity on defense. Good good defense generates points on offense and transition. So all all of those things kind of work in concert, and and, and that's what we saw in the second half. The first half, I, I think the first half chalked that up to. I wouldn't even say we overlooked BC. I think it's more of it, uncomfortable. They were un, they looked uncomfortable, and and when a team that good looks uncomfortable, you're trying things out. That's that's my opinion anyway. That's what I've I've noticed from the past and seen seen from doing it. You're, when the team is uncomfortable, they're trying some new things. So I, I think I would chalk it up to that. Yeah, you know, and obviously we were never concerned about the outcome of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, we outscored BC in the second half by 27. Mm-hmm. Um, what I liked uh, 
among uh, many things uh, was that we kept our turnovers uh, very low. We only had seven turnovers on the night. Um, a lot of that probably has to do with, um, you know, we were mostly in half-court offense. Uh, you know, you're not getting out in transition right. as much uh, when they are sprinting back as soon as a shot goes up. But, you know, I thought our rebounding uh, overall was pretty good. Uh, in the first half, they seemed to get every 50-50 ball where, as in the second half, clearly the message was sent and received mm-hmm. that we were going to go out there and out-effort them. You know, BC's head coach said it after the game, just about Zion's effort, and that's really what, what makes him special. What an uh, amazing uh, quote, right? Like, Yeah, it really was. And it was just a testament to the, to the, the player – um, and the man that the kid is, I mean, mm-hmm. to to have all the things and all the accolades that are going to eventually come with his season, uh, to be known as the hardest worker, and we've said this before on the podcast, the hardest worker on the team, on the most talented team in the country, mm-hmm. is that that's the best compliment you can get. And I do want to touch on uh, effort for a second. I want to talk about the effort and hustle of Marquise Bolden yet again. Absolutely. He, did, he had a phenomenal game yesterday. His footwork is starting to get the praise of, of, of pay. He is looking more and more comfortable in the paint. Even when he misses a shot down low, I feel more comfortable with the move that he made. It's more mm-hmm. decisive. He's not, a, he, he's not thinking before he does. He just does. And, uh, you know, I like what I'm seeing with Bolden that – you know, he can go out there and switch out on a point guard. He can yep. recover quick enough and still get the block. He is, uh, we talked about last week, affecting shots at the rim more regularly, which allows mm-hmm. us to get out in transition. It gives us a safety net uh, if, if, you know, teams are able to penetrate against us. Um, what what Bolden is doing for us cannot be understated. You know, what do you see? Absolutely not. And and to, to add to what you've said, because, I mean, you you've, obviously touched on what makes him special, which is the fact that he's healthy, the fact that he's hustling, the fact that he's getting out on boards. And then just to add to that, just the fact that the team is comfortable in, in getting them the ball down low and, and just for him to set up his own offense, he's, he's now making some moves. As you mentioned, he's now getting the chance to put up his hook shot. He's they're throwing him lobs. He's getting out on the floor and running. Like, though, I think the only knock I have on Bolden at this point is they got to find him a longer Jersey so he can keep it tucked in. I think that's I think that's his only flaw at this point. Like, but seriously, he's he really has. I mean, he he's made what's going on with Jack and Javin. He's made that not an issue because if if this was Bolden from before, and then Jack and Javin are having their problems, I think this team struggles a little bit more. Yeah. Um. But but now this allows Jack and Javin to take their time, and now so now we see Javin is starting to reacquaint himself a little better. He's he's back to doing what he does. Which I, I didn't think we would have a problem with that anyway. We talked about it before. The things he does, he can make up for that. He can rebound. He can play defense. That's not an issue. Now, now the staff and Kay and everybody else gets to focus on on Jack a little bit more and get his head back. And we we have nine games and and two tournaments to do that. And I think that's I think that's plenty of time. I I, I think this is. I think this is shaping up to be a, a nice end of the season because we didn't peak too early. Like people used to say Duke did all the time. Doesn't appear that we have tired legs. Like people say Duke has all the time. I, I think we're, we are building for a nice stretch. And quite frankly, I think it's been just not only the job of the freshmen, what they've done, but then the upperclassmen, how they've melded with this team and, and, and just the psychological job Kay's done all season. 
we yeah. I think we texted about it. I think this is his best job psychologically that I've seen as a Duke fan, maybe ever. Yeah, he is certainly. We've we've touched on his uh, psycho analysis of his team and the ability to pull and push the right buttons. I guess pull the right strings, push the right buttons for you know each player on this team, whether it would mm-hmm. be Golden early on and keeping him keeping him going, uh, keep pushing him to realize his potential and, mm-hmm. and you're starting to see it. Uh, whether it was Cam, uh, yep. who had a great game yesterday, uh, had 24 points. I thought some of the moves that he made driving to the basket were some of the most decisive moves that he's made driving mm-hmm. uh, and the most comfortable he's been, getting himself to the line, knocking them down. Uh, he hit the biggest three of the night uh, early in the second half, yep. forcing them to call a timeout, and that pretty much you know, broke the game open. Uh, I think we were only up by six at that point, but you knew it was over at that point. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, big credit to him. And for Cam continuing to run the race, for Kay continuing to instill that co- uh, confidence into him, letting him know that we, we all have your back. Um, yeah. Now it's going to be interesting to see what, what he does uh, or what he's doing with Jack. You know, Jack is a concern right now. Uh, clearly, just from a mechanical standpoint, the shot is... It's not, it's not cool to watch. It's, it's cringeworthy. Right. It, uh, it's, he's thinking way too much. Just let it go. Uh, you don't get any extra points if you, you know, miss it prettier than, <laughs> than, right. than airballing it. It's just, just let it go, man, um, is what I'm trying to say. And as a shooter who's had uh, confidence issues in, in the past, I can tell you that, it, you know, you, you just got to let it go. Yeah, and you can you can tell he's got a little glitch in, in his form. Uh, he's not getting the elevation. What do you see from a mechanical standpoint? I mean, granted, we know it's mental, but do you see anything in the mechanical uh, well, form that you could change? He's he's always had a slow shot, and I think early in the season he benefited from teams having to double and pack the lane so much against Zion and RJ and those guys that he was getting. He was kind of getting those summer shots, is what you like to call them, the shots sure. that you get in the summer where you're just you're by yourself in the gym shooting with a coach. And he was getting a lot of those early on where he was able to get his feet set, rise, and everything else that he does. And the I, I really equate this to what we saw with Matt Jones, kind of his freshman in the sophomore year. Matt Jones had a very slow shot coming into college, and that affected him early where he couldn't get his shot off comfortably against against defenses when they started keying on him and you saw his sophomore season the the year we won the title it it took him almost a whole season to to get comfortable shooting a quicker shot but it eventually happened and it came at you know the right time against Gonzaga uh most notably it actually came um at the the final game at UNC if you remember yeah yeah, true yes yes uh and kind of kind of showed that you know, pump back, step over mm-hmm. three. That yep. he, you know, showed against Gonzaga that you're referring to. Yep, absolutely. And and that was that was a big confidence builder. And that's the kind kind of thing I think we're gonna see for Jack. He's he's not gonna get a game winning three drawn up for him like Cam did. I think I think that. And when we go back in history and look at this team, and and we're sitting around drinking beers talking about this team in particular, we're we're gonna say that one of the turning points for the season was K drawing that shot up for Cam. You know, Jack's not going to get that opportunity. So his opportunity is going to come in the form of, you know, get just K getting him some big shots and key moments, and it's coming. And and what Jack is going to allow us to do is he's going to spell Mark Marquise, but Marquise is going to get his time, especially if he keeps playing the way he has been. 
he's what Jack is also going to help do is he's going to be able to spell RJ a little bit and maybe even Cam to be able to get those guys some time off the floor so that, you know, especially if Cam is going to keep scoring, you have Cam and Zion at, at certain points on the floor scoring. Maybe you have um, RJ and Cam on the floor giving Zion a rest. Maybe you have RJ and Zion on the floor giving Cam a rest. And Jack is going to be that guy to help give those guys some rest, especially when he starts proving again that he's comfortable shooting that shot. But I think what we're seeing with him right now is they are working on getting him a, a quicker shot against defense, and he just hasn't taken to it yet. I, I don't think that he can't take to it. I just I think it's going to be it's going to take some work and maybe we only see it, you know, the 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 fruits of that labor in, in two or three games this season. But if there are two or three big games where we need it, I'd like to see it. Yeah, no question. And uh, and we're all obviously pulling for the guy. Hopefully he you know, he's got time. You know, that mm-hmm. you know, he's got time to, to get this thing right. And it's almost like we keep winning these games. <laughs> without yeah. you know chat shooting kind of just fighting our time and when he does show up he's kind of like now we just added a another serious weapon yeah to uh to our back pocket to our arsenal so uh you know good couple wins we, we knew we had to have them but now we're 20 and 2 8 and 1 in the acc let's talk about the acc and our next pillar let's talk about the acc uh we're right in the mid midpoint of the season here um you know most teams have played nine or ten games in the season, right at that mid uh, midway mark, yep. uh, it's a three-way tie at the top right now. It's kind of chalk. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's what most folks believe would be the case. It's, it's Duke, it's UVA, and it's UNC all at eight and one. And then a little bit of a surprise is Louisville at eight yeah. and two. They've done a great job, um, you know, with all the things that they've had in the off-season transfers, coaching changes. Mm-hmm. They've done a really, really nice job. And we play UVA and Louisville. And then up two games, we'll, we'll focus on that six-game stretch coming up. But let's mm-hmm. talk about where we are in the ACC versus what you um, kind of predicted coming into the year. And like as you mentioned, the the top three are that that was a given. That that's who was going to be at the top of the league, and everyone else was going to have to hold sway. I I've been super surprised by a couple of things. Louisville, you mentioned, was a was a big surprise. I'm surprised Syracuse has been able to hold on. And, and keep as good of a record as they have throughout. I just, just in the non-conference, they just didn't look, they didn't look very good, but you know, that could have been just what they needed to go through to be able to get their zone the way they play their zone and everything else. You kind of see it with behind teams. They kind of start slow and then get better because you're working then new guys into that zone. But Florida state, I think it surprised me a little bit and just how, you know, un, unimpressive that they've looked in general. I, I, I thought they looked great against Duke. And then from there, I don't. I don't think they've just. I don't think they've gained much traction after that game. Like that was that was a game where you you wouldn't have thought that it would have killed their momentum because it was you know it was a last second shot that usually doesn't bury teams, but and not to say that they're buried. It's just they just they haven't looked as dominant as that team possibly could look. Yeah, they had a nice win last night, but against Syracuse. But it, yeah, I, I I thought I expected Florida State to kind of be. In the in that in in the range of that top three or four where Louisville's sitting right now, honestly, uh, yeah, the the other thing is is NC State's kind of fall from grace. They looked great in the start of the season, thought that they you know looked like a like a shoe in Sweet Sixteen team, and now I don't even know if they're going to make the tournament. And it's it, you know you start the season, you thought nine teams are going to make the tournament from the ACC. It looks like I mean not not saying seven's bad, but it looks like it might be a seven team seven team group out of the ACC because, you know, NC State's going to have to do something. I don't. I, I think their slide is pretty monumental, and I don't know that they're going to make much of a comeback out of that. And Clemson is just 
yeah, they're, they're they they've left a lot to be desired. So it's uh yeah. that bottom half is pretty rough of the ACC, and then and you factor in now that Virginia Tech has lost their point guard Justin Robinson for a significant amount of time um, with a foot injury. I I, I think they'll be able to hold because they have a easier stretch of schedule coming up a little bit, but you know it, you hope to see him get back for for Tech's sake. Yeah, no, and I'm sure he'll come right back for uh, for the Duke game when we play him uh, at the end of the six-game stretch that we have. Uh, some some key stats, though. Again, this is probably not too surprising, but Duke and UNC uh, are the top two high-scoring and rebounding teams in the ACC. Uh, obviously, uh, if you would have said that Duke was the number one in turnover margin, block shots, and steals in the ACC, mm-hmm. you would have taken that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of where we sit after the halfway part. Uh, part. And that is the, the positive news. The negative is the things we've talked about throughout the uh, the course of the podcast, which is our our inability to, to consistently hit three-point shots. Um, yep. Where do you see the ACC taking shape from here on out? You know, again, most teams have eight or nine games left. Where, right. do, you see, where do you see the cream rising to the top? All things, all things considered equal, and if if there are no more injuries, you know, you're you're gonna have injuries pop up. But if there are no more, you know, no more big time injuries to some of these teams, I, I think you'll see Florida State will be able to make a little bit of a push towards the end of the season, towards the top of the conference, and and get back to the form that they were in last season, where they made the Elite Eight. I, I think Louisville. There's something about that team. I just I don't know what it is. They just they're able to fight so well with. Yeah, not 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 a lot of talent, but just they they don't they don't bring a lot to the table in terms of you know you know obviously Duke has Zion and and RJ and Cam UVA has their spectacular defense UNC is the greatest team ever made of all time you know those those types of things but Louisville is just they're consistent they're steady and and they just they have a good squad I mean their guards rebound Jordan Noir is having a, a a first team type of season for ACC ACC play it's it's been fun to watch how they've how they've played the game. So I think you'll see them kind of stay about where they are. I think Syracuse, if they can hit some shots, they they are a team to be reckoned with, especially with that zone because that zone is just it is brutal to have to play against that the type of zone that that Bayheim plays. And I think that's I think that's kind of your story with the ACC is that top group. As I mentioned before, I think NC State and Clemson are just going to continue to slide. You know they'll they'll benefit from getting to play the Notre Dames and Georgia Techs and Wake Forest of the world towards the end of the season. But outside of that, and then, and then you throw in, having mentioned Miami, they, they've just been kind of unremarkable in general as well. So it's, I, I think that top group is going to stay the top group. I, I, I'd like to say that Duke is going to be the team that finishes number one in the regular season. If they can get through this, this brutal stretch of games with, you know, one, one loss or so, I think, I think you might, you might see that happen for them at least a tie of that top spot anyway. But again, because that bottom, the bottom half is when the bottom half is at least a little competitive, it works, but the bottom half right now is just so uncompetitive in the ACC. So you're going to, the top teams are going to get to feast on those guys a little bit. So those, these records are going to stay about the same as they are. Yeah. And as you know, Richard Vitale said uh, <laughs> last night that nobody's going to feel bad for, for Duke's schedule, but it, yeah. it, it is worth noting that Duke does have, the toughest uh, remaining schedule of anybody in in the top of the conference, mm-hmm. and that 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 happens. Like you know, that's just kind of the the luck of the draw. We had yep. an easier schedule last year, didn't didn't take advantage. So that's just that's the cards that you've been dealt with. But now switch gears to 
individual. Um, right. I mean, obviously made some predictions about uh, you know where the first team and defensive player of the year, rookie of the year, and, and mm-hmm. those sorts of things. Uh, I'm going to make a, a uh, not so hot take city <laughs> prediction here for next week. Uh, after Luke May's big performance last night against the vaunted uh, uh. Wolfpack, uh, he had a big 31 points in like 15 boards. He will be, you can just stamp this one in Ireland. He will be the ACC player of the week. Gross, um, and he, he will did, too. He absolutely will. Uh, and, and Zion might have a thousand points against UVA. Mm-hmm. Will not, and maybe they'll be nice enough to give him the uh, ACC rookie of the week. Uh, even though somehow last week when he got the ACC rookie of the week, he also somehow got the national player of the week. Yeah. but couldn't get the ACC player of the week. I don't know how that happens. <laughs> I, um, I digress. I, I'm, I'm going to say <laughs> that um, my original predictions, I believe I had um, Cameron Johnson mm-hmm. from UMC on the first team ACC. Yeah, he did. I did. I, I, might <laughs> have to, I might have to switch that out and just not only give Luke May that spot, but also make Luke May the rookie of the year the player of the year, the national defensive player of the year, the ACC player of the year, uh, and the national freshman of the year, even though this is his 13th year at yeah. his eye- The eyebrow is strong, man. I, I, I don't disagree. Like, it, it, like, seriously, like it's one of those things where I, I would hate to say it and I would hate to see it, but I really would not be surprised at all. Just because you know how these, these, these old ACC writers vote and everything else, and to see a share of Zion and Luke at the top for ACC Player of the Year wouldn't even that I wouldn't even blink an eye to see that that happened because it's it's been dumb and stupid like that in the past and I'm sure it will be dumb and stupid like that again this year. It's like it's obvious who the best player in ACC is and the, it's obvious who the best player in college basketball is and the national writers will will make sure that that's taken care of. But the the old the old farts of the ACC, yeah, I, I don't see how. I don't see how Luke May is not not a prime candidate to be an ACC Player of the Year, and I'm sure we're going to start to hear that hot take um, pretty soon in in a lot of the telecasts. I, I think, yeah, uh, yeah I think uh, Jordan well, Nawara has has. Remember, remember yeah, when yeah. Uh, Shane Battier mm-hmm. uh, won the National Player of the Year and was a co Player of the Year. As a matter of fact, I think the only other national player of the year by any service was Jason Williams, right? That season? Right, correct. Right. So, like, <laughs> how, how exactly did Joe Forte get the ACC co player of the year over Jason Williams, mind you? Right. And, uh, and uh, tied with, with Shane Battier. I, I, don't know, I don't even know how that works. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, mind, it's mind-boggling. And then also to think that Jason Williams never won an ACC player of the year, period. Not even a share of it. Like you know, the following season it was Juan Dixon, and and Jason Williams couldn't even share that with him. Like it's 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 phenomenal. And, like, and he was the National Player of the Year that year. And pretty, I think I think he was unanimous that season, right? I think every yeah. yeah every every writer across the nation said that he was uh, the National Player of the Year. So yeah, but yo, you know, Juan Dixon, <laughs> he's that guy, right? Like it's, whatever. It's it was I think it's the same thing, and we kind of talked about it offline a little bit. It's the same thing with Jordan when somebody else would win an MVP in, except for Jordan. And it's like, okay, I guess like, sure. Like it's like, it's a sympathy award. Like, you know, you know who the MVP in the NBA is since 1988, it was Jordan and, and somebody else would get the vote occasionally. And it's like, okay, all right, go ahead. You can have it. And he didn't care. Like he, he knew what he was going to do. So I, I, you know, and it obviously is going to bother us more than it bothers 
you know, bothers the, you know RJ and Zion and those guys, but I'm I'm sure that they they can use that to kind of fuel you know fuel a little fire there. Yeah, no, no question. I think that if uh, if everything's right in the world, there is unanimously uh, Zion sweeping every award, and then you know RJ joining him on the first team. Sure, mm-hmm. if you want to throw Luke May on there, who else yep. would join him on that first team? On the first team, I think right now at this halfway point, we see Jordan Nawara. I think he's he's played his way to that top spot, and and if anyone on UNC gets gets the other Luke May is going to get a first team spot, but if anybody else on UNC gets a first team spot over Kai Bowman, uh, I, yeah, I I will I will protest John Swafford's office personally. The kid is phenomenal. He had a bad game against the best defender we've seen in a very long time. He's going to continue to do his Kai Bowman thing. The kid is six one. He has eight rebounds a game. Like he's unstoppable in general. Like the, the guy's a monster. He's a pro waiting to happen. He's, he's been phenomenal all season. It's, it's a shame he's stuck on BC's roster, but he's, you know, he's done a great job of keeping his chin up and he leads that team. He's such a good leader. You saw it last night, how good of a leader he is. It's Kai Bowman should be on that other spot in the first team. And it shouldn't even be, it shouldn't be a contest in that regard. Do you see anybody from Virginia, like a, a Hunter or guy? You know, DeAndre Hunter, He's, I mean, he's there. DeAndre Hunter's there. I don't think Ty Jerome and and Kyle Guy, guy I, I can't say I don't think they belong. I think you probably have about eight or nine guys who belong. Nikhil Alexander Walker belongs on that first team. Sure. I don't think. I just don't think he's going to make it. But yeah, there's only five spots, and and one of them's guaranteed for a UNC player, and the other, and there are two that are guaranteed for Duke guys this year. So it, he he. Yeah, you know, Hunter absolutely belongs on that first team, and maybe he's a guy who kicks Bowman down. Unfortunately, I don't. I don't Bowman might get the distinction of you play on such a bad team, you're not going to make the first team, and that would be such a shame. But you know th- that might be what happens there because Hunter is so good on you know the 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 best team in the ACC. So I, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome make it. I, I think they are great great players in their own right. I just don't think you know they do play a slower pace and everything else. But I, I just don't think stats wise that you can make that you know make it work like that. But I, I think they're firmly secure on that second team. I wouldn't doubt that at all. But yeah, no, I think I think Hunter absolutely does belong up in that conversation for for a first team spot. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, Dave. Had, and and again, we got them coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're at the halfway mark here in the ACC. We're at the top. But let's go ahead and, and get to the fourth pillar, which is the unbelievably tough six game stretch that we have Man. coming up. Next play. We have at UVA on Saturday. They're obviously tied for first in the ACC, as we mentioned. Mm-hmm. And we go right back on Tuesday at Louisville, who's eight and two in the ACC. Then we play State, who has always given us picks at home. Then we have UMC, the biggest game of the year, at home mm-hmm. uh, that Wednesday night. Then we go two back-to-back games at Pius, who's already beaten us, and then at Virginia Tech, who you would expect to have Robinson back. We always struggle at Virginia Tech. It's going to be mm-hmm. a raucous environment. Uh, your boy Buzz Williams will be out halfway on the court playing oh, yeah. defense, which oh, yeah. is one of the most annoying things that <laughs> I, I've been watching college basketball. I cannot stand – and I just think he's a great coach. I just cannot stand watching that. <laughs> you know, it's – you know, I, obviously I'm not – you know, I have no opinion. I have no opinion on this matter. I'm sure, in the box right now. But, no, like, I, I get it. I do get it. I get it. I get why people hate when when you know Wojo and the guys would slap the floor. I get it. I totally get it. It's and 
the, but you know, Perroge, the, Perroge was on the floor. And he's actually. Now, I don't need Buzz Williams to be you know, 12 feet onto the, onto the court. It's really yeah, no, he's so, uh He's going to do his shtick. He's going to be on the floor. He's going to change. He's going to have to change shirts at halftime because he's going to be sweating so bad. That whole thing that, you know, that it's, it's a thing. It happens. It's, you can count on it. It's, it's going to be there. So that, that gem is, you, you mentioned how hard it is for Duke to play, um, has, how hard it has been in the past for Duke to play at Tech. It's, you know, just for like a little, a little insight on, on this kind of thing. I've, pl- I've played in that gym before. It sucks to shoot in that gym. The way the seats angle back, how dark it is in that gym because of the maroon color, all all of those things make that gym, you know, damn near impossible to shoot in. The only team I've ever seen that just came into that building and just was just what it was able to just shoot the ball and do what they do was UConn, uh, the year they won the title uh, in in '04 with Rashad Anderson and Ben Gordon. I've I've never seen such a shooting display in my entire life. It was one of the most impressive things I've seen live uh, in in a basketball game, you know, pro or or college or whatever, and. It, it was amazing to see. And funny story, one of the first times, the first time that Duke came down to, to Bla- or came up to Blacksburg uh, from Durham, they showed up for a seven o'clock game around 2.30 for the shoot around off the bus. And Tech was not good back then. They weren't a good team. They were young. They had some talent, but they were, you know, Greenberg was just kind of getting them into their own. They weren't, they weren't a tournament team yet that season, but they were, they were on the up. But um you know, Duke kind of came in with Reddick and, and, and Sheldon Williams and those guys as if, you know, a, you know, this is kind of a business as usual thing. And they, they showed up, like I said, they showed up pretty late to do a shoot around. Like it's, it's two thirty. like you generally on road games like that, when you can, you travel either the day before or you at least get there that morning where you can get yourself acquainted. And it was one of those things, I think not having experienced that gym before and everything, I think K just kind of figured they'd be able to go in and, and JJ would kind of be able to go in and do what he's done because he has played in that gym before. And I'm sure he gave Kay, you know, some heads up or insight about how he felt about that gym. But um, he had played there when he played at K Spring in Roanoke for a few of those like holiday tournaments, things like that. But man, they came out and just laid an egg. And and Tech, you know, Tech got a you know a, one of those kind of program changing type of wins against a, you know I think a then number one Duke team. And and it was just it was one of those things. But it was it was really interesting to come out of class at around like you know one thirty two o'clock and kind of head over to the gym because all the other students were going over that way and to see the Duke bus pulling up at, at three o'clock for a seven o'clock game. It was, it, it was almost, it, it was almost disrespectful in a way. I got, you know, I'm a Duke fan obviously. And, but you know, just to see it from that perspective was almost, it was almost disrespectful to see him show up that late, but yeah, you know, it's a, it's a brutal stretch that you mentioned and it looked worse than it was, you know, than it is right now a couple weeks ago, but with the slide NC States having the question on Robinson's health, Syracuse, I, I don't know that they'll give us as much trouble as they did last time, considering we had we didn't have Cam and or Trey in that game. So I I think the, the, the three games you're really looking at are Louisville, UNC, and UVA in that stretch. So you're not even counting after that long dying tribe of uh, Virginia Tech <laughs> and being uh, a tough game. That's, that's interesting. Well, um, yeah. I would love to see – I would love to see it. I really would. It's just – like I, I've, I've been able to watch this tech team for a while now this season. And if they're hitting the three, then they're good, but they need Robinson to be able to get those shots off. And just with the length and, and everything that Duke offers, they're, they're going to give them so much trouble. And yeah, they'll tech will come out with some fire and they'll come out and play for the fans and play off a little bit, but this is already a Duke team that can't shoot. So I, 
unless they sit out and shoot 53s in that game, I don't, I don't see Duke losing that game. It's just not a game they should lose. It really isn't. Gotcha. Let's talk about um, – I don't want to get into the individual matchup so much as what this entire stretch could mean. If Duke mm-hmm. is able to come out of this stretch at 5-1, and one, that puts us at 25-3 and three and 13-2 and two in the ACC, if my mm-hmm. math is correct. Correct. Um, I have to think that, you know, let's, let's say that we were to lose the game at UVA. That means that we split with UVA. I still would have to think that we would be leading. And uh, to me, it's all about, okay, now we're starting to say, where are we going to be positioned for the NCAA tournament? Do we mm-hmm. want to have that number one seed in the East uh, with the regional in D.C.? I mean, obviously, you and I hope that. Um, oh, yeah. If we're able to go 5-1 and one in this stretch and then, you know, really – you know, the three games after that, we should at worst go two and one. Mm-hmm. If we're able to do that, do you think even with the, the loss to UBA, assuming that it's a close game, we would still have the upper hand with the number one seed in the East? I think so. I think I think one loss to UVA, a win against Louisville and UNC, and then you know the rest of that group with with NC State and Tech, I think and Syracuse. I think that puts us in a good spot because you look at you look at Virginia's schedule. To close out, you know, next week they they play at Carolina, that so that 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 defense that they play where you know they they really get into your body and everything else. Not sure that that's going to work in you know with the wine and cheese crowd. So you know that it's gonna that's gonna be an interesting matchup. They still have Tech at Tech. You know, if if UVA can't shoot the three, then you know they they are a little bit ineffective. And maybe maybe Robinson maybe that's a game that he shoots to get back for because that's a pretty big game for Virginia Tech as well. Follow that up immediately with at Louisville. Again, Louisville's been been on a hot streak, and even and they play Louisville again, actually again at home as well. And then they also have Syracuse at Syracuse. Again, if that if that zone can can create some issues for UVA, especially with the rebounding side of the ball, UVA does have a couple points coming up where if they do happen to beat Duke at home, you know they they have a couple points coming up where they there's some potential losses there for them. They're not they're not perfect. And and those are some teams that they haven't seen yet this season, other than Tech. And you know they they really could see a problem there with with that little closing stretch of games. And then UNC obviously has has to play Duke twice here. So we're talking about if we go five and one in that stretch, we're talking about potentially beating UNC in that stretch. So that only helps Duke in terms of the tiebreaker. So I think as you mentioned, the stretch is huge for 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 Duke's jockeying for the top spot in the ACC going into the ACC tournament. And the number one or number number two overall seed in the tournament to get them in, into D.C. and not have to travel, you know, across the country to the Midwest. Right, because you, you have to imagine that Tennessee at this point is really secure with mm-hmm. the number one team in the South, uh, unless something happens here with, with Kentucky of all right. teams. But yeah, no, I mean, look, it, it's, there's no sugarcoating it. This is a huge stretch for Duke. Yep. And it's going to be fun. It's going to be it's going to be a hell of a ride. And it starts this Saturday. Absolutely. Uh, at UVA. So let's get right to it. Let's get to our predictions in the last pillar of the podcast. UVA Saturday, mm-hmm. 6 p.m. What do you got for us? It's the game has changed. The tide of the game has changed a touch because Ty Jerome is either going to be, you know, available but injured or not available for that game. So, we'll, you know, just kind of have to watch the news for that to see how that turns out. But whether he was going to play or not, UVA. You, you know that they are having, you know, 
in their mind, they have to game plan right now to be able to get get open shots again and be able to get assists like they usually do. They know they can't play one on one against us again, and, and and hope to try to win that game, especially with with Cam playing better now. That's going to be a huge factor for Duke. Trey's back, so you know that they didn't even have to game plan for him before. Now they have to game plan for him. So them getting shots and and getting good open shots like they like to get off those kickouts is going to be huge. It's going to be tough for them to do that, especially with the four best defenders you have on the floor back and a, a really good Marquise right now, kind of dealing with things inside with, with Jack Salt and uh, Jaquite that they have down low. So EVA is a nice unit, and they work together very well. But, again, when you can break down one or two pieces of that unit, they become a different team, and we saw that in Cameron, even though they, you know, they had a really good field goal percentage. You know, a, t- a team like that that's supposed to be that good, shooting 62% from the floor, and, and you know, they still lose the game is kind of telling. Um, so I, I don't think the game plan for Duke should be any different than what it was. I, I think you still, you still attack and you attack at will the same way. Cause that, that's what you need to do against UVA to break down that pack line defense. You have to attack it. You can't sit outside of it because it's like, a, um, it's a man zone basically. So you, you can't let it force you to shoot those shots, especially when you're not a great shooting team. And, and then you hope that, that cam is still on you hope that alex is still on and you hope that rj and jack can can fill in some some voids there shooting threes on on some kickouts when they need it because they are going to need some big shots to win that game in charlottesville but it's it's a game i think i think not think i duke should win it duke really should win it it was last time we had to kind of pump ourselves up to say duke's going to win the game this time i think very confident that duke should win this game and i think they should win it by about a, a six share i think I think we see maybe maybe a, a seventy-seven to seventy-one victory for Duke. Yeah, I mean, I'm not too far away from that actually um, in the score that I have. But I think uh, just to finish up what you were talking about, I think that right now Cam is playing with the most confidence that he's had. He's coming off two straight games where he's hit four threes. Uh, I think that he is starting to have that light come on, and he's playing with a lot of confidence. This is another game where. Yes, we expect RJ and Zion to get the bulk of those, you know, straight line drives, but maybe we see a couple more opportunities for, for Cam to get some, some threes, you know, just based on the defense defense collapsing and, and, and you know, pun intended packing it in. But give me right. Duke in this one, 74 to 70. We have gotten to a point, whether Jerome plays or not, I think we've gotten to a point now where we are starting to understand what we can expect on the defensive end from this team with Trey on the floor. I think that that rules today. It's going to be a tight game. Mm-hmm. There's no getting around that. You know, UBA is a great team. I think Absolutely. that, you know, if we can, if we can continue to, to do a good job on the, on the boards, I think that we're going to win this game uh, in, in tight fashion. And then on Tuesday night, we have Duke at Louisville. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to be a tough game, especially if you're coming off a, in a, a, hopefully a victory on the road against the top three team. To right. come right back, play another big game again on the road. It'll be another raucous crowd. How does Duke respond? Can Duke start mm-hmm. out of the gates hot uh, and really, you know, play with the effort that is needed to go to a top 20 team on the road after a big win? And that's what you're going to basically have to do in in the NCAA tournament. Is yep. that you're going to have to have two back-to-back performances against high-level competition, and you know you, you do get the extra day off. Neither of the, the postseason games are going to be on the road, but not all of those, those crowds are going to be pulling for Duke. So what do you see happening in the Louisville game? 
it, they are they are a very opportunistic team and what I mean by that is they don't have, you know, Noir was probably the only guy who's really going to be breaking you down off the dribble, but you know, Dwayne Sutton, he gets so many, so many corner threes and, and wing threes off of, off of penetration and things. And you got to watch for that. They, they rebound so well from their perimeter. They have, you know, they have, they have a tough inside guy and in Steven Enoch. He's going to give, you know, Mark Weiss everything he can handle. They just, they're very opportunistic. They don't turn the ball over much. Watch them the other night against tech and how they played. And they just, there's nothing. It's so funny. There's, you can't say anything special about this Louisville team other than they just don't really make a lot of mistakes. They, they, they're just very opportunistic and they find their way around the ball. So it's one of those games where Duke can't have lapses like they have in, against BC and some of those teams early on where they're being out hustled and such. They're going to have to come right off of UVA and playing as hard as they possibly can in that game in Charlottesville and go right over to, to Louisville, Kentucky and, and do the same thing that night because they're going to have to bring everything they have. Otherwise, it's going to be, you know, it's going to, it's going to be a loss if they don't. It's it really is. So, I, I have faith that they can bring it. I, I have faith that the defense can give Louisville trouble because they're just not a great offensive team overall. So, I'm going to say Duke's going to win that one, 80 to 70. Yeah, again, another uh, similar score. I think it's going to be a little bit tighter. I have Duke 82 to 76 in this one. Okay. Uh, I think uh, ultimately, you know, I do think it will be a slow starting game, but I think we we finally figure it out midway through the first half and, and kind of get our bearings straight. It's a big stretch for Duke. There's a big two games here that we have to go ahead and, and get it done mm-hmm. and really kind of cement ourselves. You know, we've heard a lot of trash talk from the pundits this week. Uh, some hot take cities that you can finish <laughs> off the podcast city. with. Uh, that, you know, look, you know, I hope that we hear that kind of stuff. You know, as much as we hear how great this Duke team is, I hope we hear on the other side the people that are taking their pot shots, you know, saying that we don't have the best point guard in the country, uh, and that's going to be the reason for our downfall. Give me a break. Um, yeah. This team, team has all the tools to get it done. And, and we're coming through the biggest stretch of the season. Let's, let's go ahead. Let's get it done. Two big wins. Go Duke. Yes, sir. Go Duke. Thank you for tuning in. This has been the